0: Well, it really is a pleasure and a privilege to be with you this evening and this week. And for the next few days, what we're going to be looking at is the person of the Holy Spirit. And initially in the evenings, focusing on what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And then as we go through the week, through the Bible readings in the morning with Heather and as Jago joins us later in the week, then beginning to think about what the Holy Spirit does in sending us out into the world. The Holy Spirit does lots of things but one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does is equip us to be the people that God longs for us to be in the world. The Holy Spirit isn't given to the church, isn't given to Christians so that we might feel nice, so that we might feel warm and cozy and comfortable. Occasions like New Horizon and Christian conferences are great times of refreshment and encouragement and uh, hopefully challenge as well. But last week I I saw somebody tweet something out after they'd been at a a week like this. I won't name the particular week. They said it's been a fantastic week at DOT. And what we need to do now is go home and persuade more people to come to DOT next year. And I thought, you've missed the point. The whole point of DOT is that you go back and lead changed lives for the rest of the year. The point of this week is not that you come back to New Horizon 2018. The point of this week is that you go home to your workplaces, to your churches, to your communities, to where God has placed you, equipped, encouraged Enthused and envisioned in a new way to see God work in you, but also God work through you. Now, I'm also very conscious as I come to you as a church leader of a local church that I am speaking as an Englishman who has worked in Scotland for 21 years, but I'm standing and speaking to you in Northern Ireland. I know, Toto, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Please forgive any cultural mistakes that I make. Please forgive my accent. And I'll try and forgive you yours. Um, I, love, I love the Irish accent. You know, all the rest of the Six Nations rugby fans were jealous of Ireland because you have the best national anthem. I um, maybe be controversial, but in the Six Nations, you, and for some reason you have two. Um, but the rest of us don't get that. Um, but the week, uh, weekend when the Irish rugby team come and, and normally beat Seven Daylights out of Scotland at Murrayfield, um, that's the, one of the highlights of, of the year in Edinburgh. And uh, we know that, that this great saying that I was told about Irish rugby, uh, that it may get desperate, but it never gets serious. Um, and... Uh, I, I just love um, your passion for uh, life and for tray bakes, and uh, also I'm hoping to see your passion for Jesus uh, in this week. And I know that it's Heather's intention and it's Jago's and the rest of the speakers and, and the worship bands and everybody else who's, who's here to serve you. We're simply here as your servants to share with you, to learn from you, to encourage you, but also to be encouraged by you and to learn from you. So uh, I just want to say at the start of this week um, that I'm excited for what I believe God is going to do and what God is going to say. And just as we were worshipping uh, this evening, I got a very strong impression um, that, there's, that there's just a few people here this evening and it's, you think it's an accident that you're here. And actually you're, you're even questioning why you're here as you're listening to me. Many people do that. As they listen to me speak, they they question why they're here. But in a different way, you're questioning why you came this evening. Somebody dragged you along tonight, perhaps almost at the last minute. I want to say to you in particular, it's not an accident that you're here tonight. I believe that God has something specific to say to you and that he wants to meet with you in a particular way. We're going to be looking this evening at John chapter 14 and the second half of that chapter. So if you've got a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet with an app, and if you can get a Bible app, um, then uh, if you can turn to John chapter 14, and I'm going to read these verses uh, to us. This is the night when Jesus is is saying his final instructions to his friends and his followers. He's, He's gathered them together in that upper room to celebrate the Passover supper with him. These are some of the last words that Jesus would say to his followers, to his friends. So they're fairly important words. All the words of Jesus are important. But these are some of the final words that Jesus was going to speak to his friends just hours even minutes before he was arrested and then put to death. And it's perhaps striking what Jesus begins to teach his disciples about. So John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus says this. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. "'Whoever has my commands and keeps them "'is the one who loves me. "'The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, "'and I too will love them and show myself to them.'" Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, "'But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us "'and not to the world?' Jesus replied, "'Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. "'My Father will love them and he will come to them "'and make our home with them. "'Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching.'" You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. One of the most effective and well-known archbishops of Canterbury of the last century was William Temple, and one of his favorite illustrations was this. He said, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come into me, then I could live a life like this. It's one of the unique features of the Christian faith. That we are not simply told to do our best. To live good religious lives and be the best we can. In one of the worst hymns, well, lines in a hymn ever written, this idea that Jesus died to make us good has become popular. And that somehow this idea has spread that Christianity is for good people. Christianity is for nice people. As a preacher, when I used to stand at the door of my church and shake hands with people, I've stopped doing it now. um, But I used to, uh, about 20 years ago, stand at the door and and shake people's hands. One of the things that would, if you really want to annoy a preacher, don't do it tonight, um, is is come up to them and say, thank you so much, that was nice. Because that word just means nothing. Nice. And somehow we've got the idea, some places, that, that Christianity is about being nice. The Christian faith is not about that. The Christian faith is not about making us good. The Christian faith is not about helping us to lead good religious moral lives. That's just bad religion or even worse, impossible moralism. If we're honest, it leads to stress, effort, guilt and failure. And it may be that this evening that there are people in this tent and you have lived for years with that impression of the Christian faith. That Christianity is about somehow pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and making yourself good, doing the best that you can. There was a survey done of American evangelical Christians and they were asked what their favorite Bible verse was. And two-thirds of those asked replied that God helps those who help themselves. There's only one problem with that. It's not in the Bible. Evangelical Christians, that was their favorite Bible verse and it isn't even in Scripture. This idea that somehow we're about pulling ourselves up and making ourselves better. Rather, Christianity is a unique faith system, unlike any other, where rather than following rules or regulations, teaching or guidelines, the very person and presence of the founder himself promises to come and live inside his followers. That's who the Holy Spirit is, the Spirit of Jesus, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Paul says... Is at work in you and me if we're a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you and me if we believe in Jesus. One of my favorite um, comic stories when I was growing up um, was, um, uh, it was called Billy's Boots. And uh, in this particular comic, uh, for those of you who are under 30, a comic was a paper thing um, that you used to read. And it was full of pictures and words. Um, and, and in this story, Billy was this uh, scrawny little sort of nine or ten year old who ended up playing international football for England as a nine or ten year old. I mean, he was, well, actually, he wasn't any good. But what happened was that he found boots in the attic of his house, I think it was grandma, that belonged to um, a former international football player. And whenever Billy would put these boots on, he was able to play like this international football player from 50, 60 years it would be like you now being given Neymar's boots because he's apparently can afford one or two, um, and being given Neymar's football boots, and you could play with the ability of Neymar, or being given Rory McElroy's golf clubs, and you, maybe not, um, but you could play like like Rory McElroy. That's the analogy of what Paul is saying. Because he's saying the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you and me if we believe in Jesus Christ. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to us and comes and lives inside us. Now, we can't explain the Holy Spirit because, remember, this is God that we're talking about. And God will always be bigger than we can understand. Doctrine's important. Of course it is. But in the end... Our doctrines, our beliefs, even our creeds are all limited by our language and by our understanding. And if we restrict God to what we understand, then we're not allowing God to be God. There will always be more of God that we can learn about and learn from. There will always be more of God that we do not understand and we cannot fathom. I love this observation from Eugene Peterson about what we tend to do with God. He said this, our tendency is to treat God in one of two ways. One is to flatten him down into an explanation, depersonalize him into the banal and the humdrum, and we lose all sense of mystery. We reduce God to morals or platitudes or a genial sense of good advice. We lose all sense of the transcendent, the glorious, the beyond. The other temptation is to sentimentalize God into diversion or entertainment. Which of those two extremes are you tempted to fall into? To either sentimentalize God into diversion or entertainment, quote, The worship was good tonight. Or to flatten God down and limit God to what you understand. Whatever your background, whatever your tradition, whatever your denomination, that isn't what this is about. When was the last time that you were lost in wonder at God? Or has God become to you small, mundane, predictable, limited to your understanding or experience. When was the last time that God took your breath away? When was the last time that God surprised you? When was the last time when you were just blown away? By the goodness of God or the power of God or the majesty of God or the mystery of God or has God become too predictable and too mundane? Our prayer is that at different times this week God will blow your socks off. God will recreate in you And it will be in different ways at different times for different people because we're different personalities. But God will restore to you a sense of wonder and awe and mystery at who He is. Maybe it's through the reading of His Word. Maybe it's during a time of collective worship. Maybe it'll be in a seminar. Maybe it'll be on a beach or up a mountain. But why don't we pray this week that God will surprise us. Some of you perhaps have been coming to New Horizon for years. The danger for you is that you're coming with fairly toned down expectations. You're looking forward to the worship. That's going to be good. You've had a look at this list of the speakers. You're not sure about one or two of them, including this one. But you know what the routine is. You know what's going to happen. I pray that that doesn't happen this week for you. I pray that God surprises you, even tonight, by the way that he encounters you and meets with you. We can learn some things about the Holy Spirit, though, even though we can't understand him. What he does, how he works in our lives, the church and the world. There will always be more to understand and experience of the Spirit and always more for him to work in us and through us. Very quickly, just some basics. The Holy Spirit was not invented by the early church. The Holy Spirit is there right through Old and New Testament. The Spirit of God is there in the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 as the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. The Spirit of God is there throughout the Old Testament as the Spirit of God comes upon kings and prophets and priests for a limited time, for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. The Spirit of God isn't given in the same way that he now is given to Christians, but the Spirit of God comes upon kings and prophets and priests and he enables them to do and to say what God has called them to do and say. The Holy Spirit is there in the story of Jesus as Mary is overshadowed by the Spirit of God as he is conceived. It's there in the baptism of Jesus as the heavens open and the Spirit comes upon Jesus in a new way. It's there in the temptations of Jesus as the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. It's interesting that immediately after his baptism the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and it's A telling phrase that Luke uses that having undergone the temptations, we're told that Jesus then returns in the power of the Spirit. Something has happened before and after the temptations in the relationship between Jesus and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes in a new way to young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile as the prophecies from the Old Testament, from Joel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and other prophecies are fulfilled as the Spirit of God is available for every follower of Jesus for all time. And now we look at John chapter 14 in that passage that I read a few moments ago. As I said, Jesus is giving his followers their final instructions. These are some of the final words that Jesus will speak to his friends before he's arrested, tried and then crucified. If you think about it, it had been a strange week. The events of that first Palm Sunday. Jesus wreaking havoc every day, every day, all week in the temple. Jesus celebrating the Passover in the rented upper room and saying strange things. The Passover bread, he said, was His body. The third cup of Passover, the cup of blessing, he referred to that as his blood. And then Jesus had said that one of them was a traitor. And then Judas Iscariot had slipped away looking guilty. And now Jesus started to talk about going away and it being better that he went away. Imagine how the disciples are feeling the disciples are feeling confused, the disciples are feeling anxious. The disciples, perhaps, are starting to feel very, very afraid. Jesus is saying that he's going to leave them. Jesus is saying that it's better that he goes away. Jesus is saying that they're not going to be left alone, but he is going to leave them. This week had not turned out the way that they thought it was going to turn out. Things were taking a dramatic shift. Well, what does Jesus teach both his followers in the upper room and us here this evening about the Holy Spirit. Well, verses 12 to 14. The Spirit gives power to the followers of Jesus. He says, you will do even greater things than I. What were those greater things? Some people have speculated that there were greater, to be greater miracles than than the things that Jesus had done. Probably not. Actually, you're looking at it. Look around you this evening. No, don't look at me. Look around you now. Go on, take a risk. Look at the person on your left and look at the person on your right. I know it's not pretty. (laughs) And then look around at the tent. Look all around you. What you're seeing is a small glimpse of the greater things that Jesus is talking about. Because he's talking about the church this thing this body of people this unique organization that has gone on for 2000 years that has somehow lasted persecution and death and apathy and its own stupidity to itself this thing called the church that you and i are for christians are part of we are the greater things that jesus is talking about here because jesus initiated the church through the gift of the Holy Spirit and he initiated this unique thing this unique community there is nothing like the church on the face of the earth where people from different age groups from different backgrounds come together and they have something in common where even though I have never met the vast majority of you before this evening And even now, some of you are hoping that we will not meet again. (laughs) Whether you like it or not, I am your brother and you are my sister or my brother. Ever had that connection with a Christian, even though you've never met them before? They might be a Christian from the other side of the world. And suddenly you, you have a connection with them. That's what Jesus is talking about in verses 12 to 14. We are the fulfilment of this promise, the greater things. It's the church of Jesus Christ. The second thing that Jesus said in verses 15 to 21 is that the Spirit will enable the followers of Jesus to be in an intimate relationship with him. He promises to send them another advocate. There are different translations of that word. Some people use the word counsellor. Some people use the word comforter. Some people use the word encourager. Some people use the word advocate. What we often miss in the English is the translation of the word before that word. The word another. In the original Greek in the New Testament, the language that it was written in, that Greek word for another means something quite specific. It means another just like the first. That's what that word means, another. It doesn't mean a different one, but it means identical. Not a different sort or kind, but identical. Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask the Father and he will send you an identical comforter. Someone who is the same as me because he is the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus. They're all different titles for the same thing. And because we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus says we're not going to be left as orphans because, verse 23, the Spirit enables Jesus' followers to know the Father. We're enabled to know the Father and to know that we're God's children. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside us. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 8. And I think we're going to look at it later in the week. That we know that we're God's children because of the Holy Spirit. There is a family likeness. Because the Spirit of the Father is living in his children. You know when Kathy was pregnant with Josh... 23, 24 years ago we were working for another church in uh, the English Midlands and we were leading the youth group as part of the work that we were doing in that church and when the youth group learned that Kathy was pregnant they started to pray for two things they firstly prayed earnestly and vehemently that the child would not have Kathy's laugh because Kathy's laugh is distinctive Now, to me, as a husband, it's a beautiful laugh. No one else finds Kathy's laugh beautiful. Wherever we are in a crowd, you can know where Kathy is because of her laugh. Some people, I would say somewhat unkindly, have called it more of a cackle. But she she has a very distinctive laugh. And they started to pray seriously that this child who was going to be born would not get Kathy's laugh. And they prayed every week. They also prayed another thing. They prayed that this child would not get my eyebrows. Josh, I'm going to embarrass you. Would you just stand up and turn and face everybody? One out of two wasn't bad. Okay, Josh has a good laugh. It is not a cackle. It's, it's, a, it's a refined Edinburgh ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. It's not a cackle. But you only have to look at Josh. And if you see him around the site this week, you will know that he is Josh. Because it's the eyebrows. If you look at Nathan, my 19-year-old son, everybody knows that Nathan is my son. There is no doubt about Nathan being my son. Not because of his laugh, but because of these bad boys. (laughs) Iona. Our 16-year-old daughter is thrilled over the moon that she also has the eyebrows. (laughs) Much to her annoyance, she doesn't get the eyelashes. People would kill for these. But she's got these. There should be a family likeness if we belong to the father. If we belong to the Father and the Father lives in us, the Spirit of the Father lives in us, the Spirit of the Son lives in us, then people should see in you and me a family likeness. And that family likeness is what Paul describes in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 23 to 25. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, kindness, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, etc, etc. The character of Jesus being reproduced in you and me so that people see the character of Jesus in you and me because the spirit of Jesus lives in you and me. The test of whether you are growing as a Christian is not how many times you go to church. It's not how long your prayers are. It's not even how well you know the Bible. The test of whether you're growing as a Christian is how much more like Jesus are you becoming. Are you more loving, more joyful, more faithful, more patient, kinder, gentler? Is the fruit of the Holy Spirit more evident in your life than it was a month ago? Six months ago? A year ago? For those of you who were at New Horizon 2016, if you were to turn and ask somebody who knows you really well, maybe you want to do this later on this evening, ask somebody who knows you well, would you say that I am more loving, more joyful, kinder, gentler, more patient, faithful? Is the fruit of the Spirit, is the character of Jesus more evident in my life now than it was 12 months ago, than it was six months ago? Because that's the true test of whether you're growing as a Christian. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Is the character of Jesus becoming more fully formed in you? And paradoxically, as the character of Jesus is formed more fully in you, you become more fully the person that you were always intended to be. Not a clone of Jesus. I'm not talking like Doctor Who's Cybermen, where we all become the same but we become more fully and distinctively, uniquely who God always made us to be as the character of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the power of Jesus works in us to produce the fruit of the spirit in your life and in mine. Fourthly, the spirit enables the followers of Jesus to obey Jesus. Verses 21 to 26. Because Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach the followers of Jesus and remind the followers of Jesus what Jesus has taught his followers to do and say. The Spirit is there to remind us and to guide us. Now, I believe in the charismatic gift of, of prophecy. If you don't uh, believe in that, you're entitled to your opinion. You're wrong. But um, we can talk about it over coffee. Uh, that's fine. I believe that God does still speak today today. But the important thing to remember is that what God might say today will always be an impression. Um, if, you're, if you're an Anglican, it will be a picture. For some reason, God speaks to Anglicans in pictures. The Pentecostal, it's the first person. don't know why, but just the way it happens. Um, God will speak to people today, but he will never contradict his word. He will never contradict his word. So if you think that God is telling you to do something that directly contradicts his word, it's either you or the Bible that's wrong. It's probably you. But neither is it a question of revising or cramming the Bible. As R.T. Kendall says, if you want to get on good terms with the Holy Spirit, get on good terms with his word because he wrote it remember a few years ago at a Christian conference like this, um, the speaker, a speaker standing up and saying, "I've got news for you. God's got a book out. Why aren't you reading it?" It's one of the weaknesses, the really sobering realities of, of the Evangelical Church in the United Kingdom, from Great Britain and Northern Ireland, is that fewer and fewer evangelical Christians are reading the Bible. Our knowledge of scripture is decreasing. Our expectation about the the presence and the the, the power of God is is increasing, but our knowledge of and reliance upon the scriptures is decreasing. I love the quote from Simon Ponsonby, who I believe uh, has done New Horizon and spoken here before. He said, the scriptures lead me to being a charismatic. The spirit leads me to the scriptures. If you are more filled with the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of God is more fully at work in you, then the Spirit is there to prompt, remind, instruct, guide, and empower you. But if he's going to remind you, you've got to know it in the first place. Just like I didn't experience in that chemistry exam. It was impossible for me to be reminded of chemistry because I'd never learned it in the first place. If you don't know the scriptures, the spirit can't remind you because you can't be reminded of something that you've never read in the first place. Fifthly and finally, Jesus promises that the spirit will impart the gift of peace. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The reality is that you and I live in a world of deep unease and deep Dis ease, disunity, and division. People are desperate for, hungry for one thing, and that's peace. We've seen it throughout the Western world, in, in the whole sphere of politics. Whatever your particular. I'm not even going to go there tonight or this week. I'm not stupid. Um, but it, as you look at Western Europe, as you look at North America, we are in a, a society, a culture which is increasingly fractured and divided and, 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 and at dis-ease with itself. And people, though they don't know it, are desperate for peace. And that's one of the things that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will bring. Peace, shalom, wholeness, a oneness with God, people, self and creation. And we'll look at more at what that means tomorrow night and on Tuesday. So a brief summary, introduction if you like, to the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. If we're honest, people have different reactions to the Holy Spirit. Some people are fearful of being let down by God, of asking God for something and God not coming through. A really close friend of mine, he's been a friend for over 30, 40 years, um, has prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed For one particular gift of the Spirit. And for some reason, God has not given him that one particular gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given him other gifts, but he hasn't given him that one particular gift. And this guy feels a bit let down by God. He can't understand why God wouldn't give him that gift of the Holy Spirit. And maybe if you're honest, that's how you're feeling this evening. As you come even perhaps with some trepidation to this week at New Horizon. And you you hear that the theme is the power of the Holy Spirit. You think, oh no. If I'd known that, I'm not sure I would have come. Because my experience is, is that God, he never gives me what I pray for. My experience of being prayed for or asking God for something to do with the Holy Spirit is that I'm, I'm constantly let down by God. Other people have a, a slightly different reaction. They're equally fearful that God might really show up. That if they were to ask God to fill them with the Holy Spirit, well, God might do something that you don't like or tell you to do something that you don't like. Maybe for some people it's, it's the stuff around, the sort of cultural stuff uh, around the work of the Holy Spirit that you find tricky. I remember seven or eight years ago, I've, I've asked Josh's permission. Well, I didn't actually, I just told him I was going to tell this story about him. Um, about seven or eight years ago, I took Josh. Uh, there was a Scottish uh, conference called Clan Gathering. Um, it's it, it ceased uh, now. Um, but it went on for about ten, twelve years, and it was a bit like New Wine, um, New Horizon, Keswick, on steroids. Um, it was, it was just bonkers. Um, it was there were there were you know um, huge swords and and f- it was just crazy. Um, there were nice people that led it. Um, some of them were my friends. Um, they won't be when they're further. I've just said that. But it was completely bonkers. And this was Josh's first experience of anything really to do with that stuff. And uh, I knew it was my son when we went into the morning um, Bible reading. where well, there wasn't much Bible. And um, uh, the worship started. And it was the sort of conference where people were allowed to wave flags. Anybody remember those type of conferences where people were allowed to wave flags? And seemingly, apparently, where you wave flags is not determined by common sense. Um, So people were waving flags in front of the screens where the words for the songs were being projected. And Josh was about, I think, 15 years of age at the time, and I knew he was my son because he just turned to me and went, blummin' flags. and (laughs) And I said, yes. And he said, why don't they wave them at the back? And I said, because they're free in the spirit. And he said, well, why can't they be free in the spirit at the back? (laughs) And it was a good point. And why somebody somewhere didn't go, excuse me, I know you want to worship God by waving a flag, but can you do it at the back? Because if you do it at the front, we can't see the words of the songs that we're trying to sing. And you're waving your flags and you're having a great time, but we can't see the words. So please could you go and wave them at the back? And it, we had an interesting day. went to seminars and went to all sorts of stuff. And at the end, um, we were driving back to Edinburgh and uh, we started to talk about the Holy Spirit. And... Um, we got to, we'd driven for about an hour and we we talked about the Holy Spirit and uh, and in the end, Josh just looked at me and said, "Ah," he said, I can do without all that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, Jesus, I'm convinced by. Him being the son of God, I can cope with that. Him dying on the cross for my sin, I believe that. But this Holy Spirit stuff, I can do without that. And I was driving and I said, Josh, I don't think it works like that. It's all part of the same package, really. Now, ignore the cultural stuff. Ignore the flags. But the Holy Spirit is given to you so that you can live as a follower of Jesus. Now... Josh has since changed his theology and experience of the Holy Spirit. He's now more charismatic than I am. Um, He's not a flag waver (laughs) yet. But maybe that's your experience or your attitude towards the Holy Spirit. I can do without all that stuff. You know, as as, as Luke challenged us quite rightly right at the start of this evening to adopt that posture of praise, something within you went, I'm not sure and it was that same sort of inner resolve that you had when you refused to stand up for the Ulster man. <laughs> and it's that same inner resolve that happens every time you sing a song that says, we lift our hands in worship, and you went, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and there's something deep within you that says, I, I, I'm, I'm, just, I, I can, I'm fine with Jesus. I'm fine with him being the son of God. I'm fine with him dying for my sins. I'm fine with him being raised from the dead. I'm fine with the second coming. I'm fine with being his friend and his follower. But I'm just not sure about this Holy Spirit stuff. Fear of being let down by God. Or fear that God actually might show up. Or just a resolute decision that you can do without all that stuff wherever you are this evening I believe that God wants to meet with you tonight and this week To understand that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Jesus. He's the Spirit of the Father who works in you. That He's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He is the same Spirit that works in you and me to reproduce the character of Jesus because He is the Spirit of Jesus, because He is not another advocate. He is identical to the person of Jesus. And one final thing the Holy Spirit is not an it. You see, when people start to talk about the Holy Spirit as an it, I can understand why people become a bit anxious. Because the idea of you being filled with an impersonal force is a bit strange. You can't have a relationship with an impersonal force. But the Holy Spirit is a person. There was a huge tradition in the early church of of calling the Holy Spirit she. Again, I'm not going to go there tonight. I'm not that stupid. But the Holy Spirit has always been referred to even in the restrictions of the English language by a personal pronoun because he or she is a person. They're the third person of the Trinity. They're the same as the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit is given to people like you and to people like me to enable us to live the lives that Jesus always longs for us to live. One final story. It's a story told about the Kare tribe in Africa. And some years ago, the Wycliffe Bible translators had struggled to translate the Bible into this particular language. And they'd struggled in particular to translate this one word, counselor or advocate, into the local language. And the Wycliffe team left this particular tribe for a few years. And a few years later went back and were amused to discover what had happened. They came across a group of porters from that particular tribe, but were puzzled to see one of them not carrying anything. So there was this long line of porters carrying stuff on their heads, and then there was one who wasn't carrying anything. And the, the Wycliffe Bible translators were a bit puzzled and confused, and they wondered who this particular porter, who wasn't carrying anything, Who was he? Was he the chief? Was he somebody who was lazy? And they asked the tribe, and the tribe explained that they always took one extra porter with them who didn't carry anything. And when someone got tired, that porter would take over carrying the load of the porter who'd got tired. And they gave a name to that particular porter. And that name was this. The one who falls down beside us. And the Wycliffe Bible translators were amused to realize that the tribe had used that particular word, that particular title, the one who falls down beside us. They'd used that word to translate the word counselor or advocate. The one who falls down beside beside us the one who draws alongside us maybe you're more comfortable thinking about that maybe you this evening are tired maybe you are weary maybe you've come to new horizon 2017 because you are in desperate need of refreshment maybe you're fearful that god will let you down Maybe you're fearful that God might actually show up. Maybe you think that you're fine with Jesus and you don't need all this Holy Spirit stuff. But maybe also you're just tired. And you, this evening, need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the wonderful thing about God is that there's not a question of warming up with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as able to come tonight on the first night of New Horizon as he's able to come every other night. And it's not a question of waiting until Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. God can meet with you here this evening. And in particular, if you're tired and you just have a sense this evening that you want the one who falls down beside us, to come and to lift you and to carry you and to refresh you and to renew deep within your inner being, then I'd love to pray for you. So I'm going to ask that we stand tonight. So would you please stand? And I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And there's all sorts of labels that we can we can use about each other. Um, after... This evening, already, you have formed some opinions about me. i form formed some opinions about you as well. Um, English, Northern Irish, etc. And there are all sorts of cultural expectations that we have of each other. And sometimes, as Luke reminded us at the start, we can buy into those cultural expectations, and we can let those cultural expectations be more important than what we think God is saying to us in the here and now. So I've lived and worked for 21 years in Edinburgh. Now, you could not come across a city, A, more beautiful, B, with a better rugby team, C, with a more reserved attitude, than people who come from Edinburgh. You know the, the famous contrast between people from Edinburgh and Glasgow is that people in Glasgow say, oh, come in and have your tea. And people in Edinburgh say, oh, you'll have had your tea, come in. <laughs> we, we, we just keep people at a distance in Edinburgh. We're very posh uh, and very refined. And we don't really like sort of thing. Now, you put us on the terraces of Murrayfield. You show... People from Edinburgh, whether they support Hearts or Hibs, um, a football match, and they'll sing a proclaimer song and they'll have their hands in the air, but somehow the idea has come about that culturally, Scottish people, they don't really use expressions in worship. Partly that explains what happens at Clan or did happen at Clan because people felt that they had permission. And one or two folk have said to me, is they knew I was coming to speak at New Horizon, they said, "Ah, the Northern Irish, culturally, oh, I'm not sure about what they do with the Holy Spirit." And even now, some of you are starting to say, "That's right." <laughs> and you know, some of you are actually doing it physically, but metaphorically, you are folding your arms. And you, I'm not going to do that. That's my best. That's as best as it's gonna get. Okay, for my Northern Irish accent. And I, I will, I will sing "Power of My Power" and "Tower of My tire with you when we sing "Be Thou My Vision." It's great. Um, but the reality is that Jesus does not. See, this is. I don't. Want to be, I, don't want to, I really don't want to offend you. But Jesus does not see us primarily. By ethnicity or nationality. He does not see you primarily as somebody from Northern Ireland in the same way that he doesn't see me primarily as somebody who is from England, now living in Scotland. Because Paul says in Philippians, you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now very quickly, Philippi was a, a Roman colony, and as part of being a Roman colony, you were enabled to become a Roman citizen, and that meant that you had all the rights. So when Paul says, you are citizens of heaven, he's reminding the Philippian Christians that their primary, primary identity is not as Christians who are Philippians, but their primary identity is in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And although God creates beautiful difference and beautiful diversity, and there is incredible richness and diversity in people's ethnicity and um, backgrounds, and and one day we're going to stand in front of of Jesus with people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. And, And the people from Northern Ireland, you will have your own special section. Not saying anything. But yeah, there'll also be people from Southern Ireland, there'll be people from Scotland and Wales and England and America and Canada and Africa, and there'll be people from every tribe and nation, and we will worship God in our own tongues perhaps and other tongues as well. But primarily on that day, we will not be Northern Irish or Scottish or Welsh or English or British or American or Canadian or Australian or Kenyan or Ugandan or Japanese or Chinese or New Zealanders or whatever, because primarily our identity is as the children of God. And that's how Jesus sees you this evening. He sees us as his children. Of the heavenly father whose first allegiance and first identity is to the kingdom of heaven. Not the earthly kingdoms that we happen to live in or be born into. So as far as you're able and if you're comfortable. I want you to take away and put to one side some of the cultural expectations That you have lived with and placed upon yourselves. And it's been spoken over you, sometimes by church leaders, sometimes by politicians, sometimes by your parents, sometimes by culture, sometimes by society. And you have believed the label that you have been given. Hear the label that Jesus gives you tonight. You are a beloved son or daughter of the Father. He loves you. He loves you. He likes you. He doesn't love you because he's God and that's his job. He likes you. And he wants to meet with you this evening. And he wants to put more of his character, more of his power, more of his presence into your life. So if you're comfortable, just going to ask that we adopt that posture. And I'm not going to ask you, I'm not as bold as Luke. I'm not going to ask you to hold your hands up like that. I'm just going to ask you to hold your hands up like that. Because I'm an Anglican. And we do it about halfway. So, would you just hold out your hands? Just an attitude of response. Again, if you're comfortable, if you don't want to, that's fine. Just close your eyes. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. It's one of the ancient prayers of the church, it's been prayed for centuries. It's not a new charismatic prayer. It's an ancient prayer of the church where we just invite the Holy Spirit to come. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you are already here. Thank you that you've been in this place, that you've been on this island for hundreds of years. And thank you that this island if we're honest, it's a place that many of us look to as a thin place. Where the division between earth and heaven becomes thin. It's what the Celtic church used to call a thin place. And I know for many of you, New Horizon is is a thin place. It's a place where you meet with God. And Holy Spirit, we... Recognize that you are here and you have been here for decades and for centuries. But in this place, in this time, on this evening, we invite you to come now. And we just invite Holy Spirit As we honor you, the Spirit of Jesus, to come and to breathe the life of your Spirit across this body of people and across this tent. And Holy Spirit, we're, we're asking you to come. And we're asking you to fill. And we're asking you to comfort. We're asking you to refresh. We're asking you to challenge. We're asking you to heal. And as you, the Spirit of Jesus, comes... Perhaps you're going to remind us of things from your word. You're going to challenge us to be people of obedience. And maybe even now there are people just sensing the prompting of God. Where he's just reminding you of things in your life. That are not the things that he wants you to do. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts of sin. And something is in your mind now. You're, you're remembering it. You've tried to put it away, but it's, 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 it's bubbling up and it's surfacing. And that's the Spirit of God just shining his light. And he's waiting for you to bring it out of the darkness into the light. He's not forcing you to. He's waiting for you to do that. For others of you, it's that sense that you're tired. That you've been doing your best. But if you're honest this evening, you're exhausted. Exhausted with trying to lead a good religious life that was not the life that Jesus intended for you to live Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light some of you have have placed burdens on yourselves or allowed other people to place religious burdens on you and they're weighing you down and, and just exhausting you. Some of you, deep within your inner being, feel dry. And you need that promise of that living water that Jesus gave to that woman, that passage that we started with this evening, John chapter 4, where Jesus promised that streams of living water would flow. And you're asking Jesus tonight to come and and pour his spirit in you and fill you afresh with those streams of living water. So just where you stand, Holy Spirit, however you want to meet with different ones of us tonight, we're asking you to come. Come to refill Come to refresh. Come to challenge. Come to comfort. Come to remind. Come to teach. And the Holy Spirit is referred throughout Scripture as a, one of the the Hebrew words is ruach means breath of God maybe some of you are just sensing that it's not the air conditioning it's not the wind outside It's, it's the Holy Spirit that's just blowing through some of you perhaps are starting to feel a warmth in your hands or your feet we don't know why this happens there's no scriptural backing for it but sometimes it's just a sort of sign of God meeting people Some of you aren't feeling anything physical. Don't worry if that's you. I'm not feeling anything either. And those people I mentioned right at the start... If you felt this evening that you were here just by accident just have this impression that God wants to meet with you in a particular way maybe you don't know Jesus I might be wrong maybe if you're honest tonight one of the reasons that you've never experienced the Holy Spirit is that you don't actually know Jesus The Apostle Paul came across people like that in the New Testament and he he introduced them to Jesus and one of the things that happened immediately is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit living inside you. So I'm going to ask that maybe tonight if you want to become a Christian, that you open yourself up? And perhaps that's in a way that God is going to surprise you tonight, because that's not why you came this evening. So there are two groups of people I'm going to ask. And I, I don't normally do this; I really don't. But if you if you feel that you want to become a Christian tonight, then I'm going to ask you to come and stand at the front here. And if if you want to be healed, if you want to be prayed for for healing tonight, I'm going to ask that that you come forward and stand at the front. I know the prayer ministry team will also be available in the prayer tent afterwards. Um, And if you want to do that, you can pray there as well. But those particular two groups of people there's the, the band leaders on our next song I'm just going to ask that you come and stand maybe Prem is the prayer team want to come down here as well um, I'm just going to continue to be open to God and open to his spirit and what he's doing and saying so if you want to be healed or if you want to come and know Jesus for the first time then please come forward as we sing and uh, we're going to continue to wait upon God